Well, good morning. I should say good morning because that's what you say, but to me, no morning is a good morning because I'm not a morning person, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm here and I'm awake. <laughs> um, why don't, let's just start off. Why don't you turn to your Bibles uh, to Matthew 11:28, and I'll, while you're doing that, I'll introduce myself. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It was good to worship with you guys this morning. There's nothing that I love more than being with brothers and sisters worshiping Jesus. It makes my heart so happy. We're like one big family, and I love it. My name is Pizzi, kind of like pizza, but add the E on the end. My parents came up with a crazy name before crazy names were a thing. Um, actually, my mom is Dutch, so it is Dutch for Patricia. And I grew up, my family's originally from L.A., but I grew up mainly in Colorado, and I lived in Wisconsin for a while, and I went to school there, and I remember um, I was telling someone, oh, yeah, my family's Dutch, and she was like, oh, that's it? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, that's where your accent's from. You're Dutch. <laughs> and I was like, what are you? I'm, my family, we're from L.A. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but, like, I was like, well, being up here in the... Midwest, very far north. I'm like, well, it is like a foreign country. I'd probably be very different than you guys. <laughs> but um, I, I grew up, I'm so thankful for the way that I grew up. My dad is a pastor. He's planted churches my entire life. He came up under John Wimber. And so I grew up in the supernatural presence of God. I grew up walking into a grocery store and my dad would be looking at the clerk and he'd be like, you're deaf in your left ear. I go, yes, I am. And he's like, Jesus is going to heal you right now. Let's lay hands on this person. And they get healed. Um, when the Toronto blessing broke out, I remember being in revival services. I think I was around 10 or 11. And I remember being in revival services slain in the Holy Spirit as a 10 and 11-year-old and encountering the love of God. And I'm so thankful for parents that pushed, even past me knowing all the word of God, they pushed to get me in the presence, right? Because, like, experiencing Jesus captivates you. It's what holds you. And even reading the word comes through experiencing the presence of God. If I'm just reading it dry, it's the living, breathing word of God. Yeah. It carries his presence, you know? So like now even reading the word, it breathes life into me. I'm like, oh, I can feel you. I can see you. And if I can see you, I'm good, God. Like I'm good. And so we planted churches my entire life. We moved all over the place. Um, I struggled a lot as a teenager. In fact, um, I turned to Mel this morning, and I was like, do I have makeup all over my face? She's like, no, you look great, because I was crying during worship, which is a, that's a testimony in and of itself. I was so hardened as a teenager. I was so hardened even as an adult. I think I was telling my friend Teresa, I'm like, I, I don't think I, I think I went two years as a teenager without ever crying. Not once. That's how shut down and hardened I was. I was disillusioned by the church, and I was hardened. I hardened myself um, towards my parents, and now it's, it's so, God's done such a softening work in me. 
like the testimony of my life is God coming in and softening me, softening my heart. And sometimes like even two nights ago, I'm laughing because every time I went to sit down to be like, okay, Holy Spirit, what are, Selah, what are we speaking about? I would just begin to worship and the presence would just fall. The presence was three nights ago or four nights ago. I was like, okay, God, like, let's, let's hash this out. What are, what are we doing here? And I just began to worship. And, and then tears, like, began to fall. And I just began to manifest in the Holy Spirit. And Corey Russell says, he's like, tears are like liquid prayers. It's when you don't have anything left. You don't have anything left to say. And the tears of God just begin to flow. And that's what I felt. I'm like, God, I don't have anything left, but I have you and I have tears, you know, and just the softening of my heart and experiencing the presence. I'm like, okay, that's all I need, God. You're so good. That's all I need. So I grew up, I got married. I was going to show you a picture of my family, but we don't have screens. So I'm going to describe them to you. (laughs) If my husband was here, you would think Jesus walked into the room because he's that holy. I mean, he's kind of holy. No, he's holy. But really, he looks like Jesus. I always said to the Lord, I want to marry a man who looks like Jesus. I just didn't think that the Lord was going to take me literally. So if you imagine what Jesus, the stereotypical Jesus, not the Mormon Jesus, the stereotypical Jesus, not blue eyes, not like white Jesus, although he is white, but if... Yes, the chosen Jesus. There you go. That's more accurate. If you imagine him, that's what my husband looks like. He's got long, dark hair. He has a beard. He barely ever showers. I tell him he'd fit in perfectly with the disciples. He was in a band for a long time. And so I think he literally just assumes that people can go like days and days and get really sweaty on stage without taking showers. That like the rest of us actually get up every day and take a shower. Not me, every other day. But yeah, that's what he looks like. He's amazing. He is like Jesus to me. He's back home with our babies, working and watching them and laying his life down so that I can be here today. He's a pretty awesome dude. And then we have my daughter, Yana, another weird name, but also Dutch. And she is, she is the light of my life. She is absolutely precious. Yana is autistic and She doesn't have many words, but if she was here right now, what she would do is she'd probably come up to each one of you and she'd hold your face like this. And then she'd put her cheek on your cheek. She doesn't have many words, but she speaks the language of love. She does. She speaks the language of the kingdom. And she's so precious. She also loves Mario. All things Mario. Our life is Mario video game. She loves them, but she is just wonderfully precious. And then we have my son, Moses. And Moses, 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 Moses. Moses was quite the sacrifice to bring into the world. (laughs) And he definitely was our Moses. He, I tell Johnny all the time, I'm like, yeah, he got us out of Egypt he is the refiner's fire of our life. He got us out of Egypt <laughs> and into the promised land. But he is also the comic relief. He said to me the other day, our front door was open, and I was like, hey, Mo, can you go close the front door for Mama? And I swear he looks at me, and he goes, Mom, it would be my honor. <laughs> and then he gets up, and he walks past me, and he looks at me while he's walking past me. And I'm not joking. 
He looks at me and he goes, that's a thing people say sometimes. And winks and goes and closes the door. And I'm like, who is this child? I mean, clearly my husband and I did not teach him any kind of manner. So this is the Holy Spirit going over and beyond. It would be my honor. But if he was here, he would walk right up to you. He would say hello. And then he would introduce himself. And then he would go on to tell you what he ate for breakfast. He would go on to tell you if my husband and I got in a fight the day before. He'd probably tell you our address. He'd probably tell you my social security number. He is so social, and he is the kid that divulges all the information. There is no hiding. He is my humility <laughs> to everyone in the grocery store. <laughs> but I love him. They're great. So that's my family. I have been through in my life. I grew up in the church. I got super hurt in ministry. Started a big, huge arts organization for youth huge ministry, super successful, tons of kids got saved, completely blew up because of someone else's sin, <laughs> completely destroyed the whole ministry, destroyed the whole church, and I was left so broken. And I, I had to, inside of myself, I was like, I need to step back from ministry. I need to step back from the church. I went on a four-year journey of letting the Holy Spirit refine and work through my heart. And it was there that the same love of God that I experienced as a, an 11-year-old in the manifest presence of God captured me again. And I thought, I don't care about religion. I don't care about um, even the organization of the church. What I care about is the heart of God and through that, his heart for his bride. <laughs> and it captured me and it's held me. And so that's why I'm here today. My life is a testimony of the faithfulness of God. I have experienced, you know, it's like Jesus said, like it's, I think sometimes when we think we get saved and, and, oh, I'm not going to experience pain. I'm not going to experience hardship. Right. But that's not what he said. He's like, you will experience that, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And I've seen that time and time and time again. I'll face a painful thing, but yet I watch the faithfulness of God carry me through. So I was super excited when Dan asked me, that when he said that your theme was Selah, and he asked me to speak about that because it is one of my favorite things to speak on. In fact, it was so hard for me because I have so much to say about this that I was like, okay, we got to weed things out. Otherwise, we'll be here all day, and I'm not going to make you guys sit through that torture. But... Ironically, so I, oh yeah, I need to say this part. I am a life consultant, which is basically like a millennial job. I was sitting on a plane with like two 50-year-old people, and they're like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, it's a millennial job. I'm a life consultant. I, it's not like a real job. Like, I'm a life consultant. Um, <laughs> they're like, yeah, what's that? I don't, you know. Um, but basically what I do is I take life coaching and counseling and pastoring and it's on steroids with the Holy Spirit. I meet with people all over the world and my passion is to help believers get connected to Jesus, get breakthrough freedom and wholeness. And so I do that. I run courses online and do teachings online. And ironically, one of the one of the products I have out is called the Sela sessions, which are 20-minute prayer meditations to help you pause 
to reflect and to recenter in the presence of God. So I have one, and I just redid them, so I'm super excited about them. I have one that's pray, which is meditating on the Lord's Prayer. Another one that's peace, that's releasing stress and anxiety. Gratitude, which is cultivating a lifestyle of of gratitude and thankfulness. And then heal, which is about releasing trauma. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go to my website. It's pizze.com, P-I-E-T-Z-E.com, and you can check those out. All right, everybody put your hand on your heart. Y'all are my clients today. This is what we do if you were meeting with me one-on-one. Put your hand on your heart. Dan this morning talked about what we're carrying, the heavy baggage. And I just want to take a moment in silence Past what you feel, past what your body feels, what are you carrying? Ask your heart. Say, heart, what are you carrying? Okay, now I want you to put it into one word. Is it stress? Is it anxiety? Is it hope deferred? What is it? Okay, now I want you to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. How big is the anxiety? How big is the fear? Okay. Now let me read this scripture over you. Okay, and you can read along if you want, but stay in this state. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart. I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, now everybody take a deep breath and release with a sigh. (sighs) Good job. I'm going to read that again, but I'm going to read it from the message this time. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Learn from me to live freely and lightly. Take a deep breath again. Hold it and release with a sigh. (sighs) Now I want you to check back in with your heart. Say, heart, what are you feeling? Now I want you to go back to the thing that you originally said, whatever it was, the stress, the anxiety, the heaviness, the hopelessness. 
And I just want you to check in, and on a scale of 1 to 10, where is it at right now? Did it go down for anyone? Good. That's a Sela moment. That's a moment, even the way of reading the scripture slow. There's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to love. And it's slow. Love is patient. That's the very first thing that Paul says about love. It's patient. It's not in a rush. It's not busy. It's not hurried. It's not full of anxiety. Love is slow. There's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm to grace. Just like I love how Eugene Peterson says, the unforced rhythms of grace. Right? Like there's a pocket that we sit in as believers that we access. And the truth is, is that it's extremely countercultural right now. You have to understand in 2007, a big shift happened in the world. Do you want to know what it was? It's called the iPhone. It changed the way that we, it changed the complete society of the world, the way that we do things. And in fact, 2007 is when we entered the digital age. Tons of stuff was coming out of Silicon Valley. And I'm not knocking technology. I think it's pretty awesome. I'm thankful for a lot of my apps. But what I am saying is that the way that the world is going is a direct assault to your spiritual life. And if you're not aware of it, you will get swept up in it. I think it was before the light bulb was created, people used to get 11, the average was 11 hours of sleep. 11 hours for the average person. She's like, yes, me too, girl. <laughs> so for I got kids. They didn't mention the people with kids. People got 11 hours of sleep. After the light bulb, we average about six or seven. That's crazy. In fact, there, the way that the world is going with technology is such a concern to so many psychologists that they are actively trying to figure out solutions to help people get out of fight or flight. People are perpetually stuck in survival mode. One of the things that I'm passionate about teaching about is triggers and how to use triggers and negative emotions to bring Holy Spirit healing moments. Right? Because everything that the enemy tries to bring at you, God wants to use for you. That's our gift as believers, right? Like every arrow he brings, God turns it into your blessing. And so I'm passionate about helping people work through triggers. Learning my triggers, learning how to deal with negative emotions changed my marriage. It changed the way I related to God. It changed everything within me. And there are four main survival responses to triggers. There's fight. If you're a fighter, you put up your guard and you attack. When you feel unsafe, when you feel threatened, you attack right? Those are the people in arguments who may or may not have thrown a water bottle one time. I'm not going to name any names. I always tell my husband, I'm like, I'm not a fighter with anyone else, just you. What does that say about you? He's like, <laughs> those are the, defen the defensive ones. They got to fight for everything. Okay. There's freeze. 
the people who are so scared on the inside that they get stuck. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They ruminate about the conversation that they had with their boss earlier. Their mind goes over and over and over and over again, right? They're busy in their mind. They can't slow it down. There's flight, which is that when I get stressed, when I get triggered, I I fly away from it. I don't want to think about that. Those are the kitchen cleaners. When they get stressed, suddenly they're like, <laughs> they're getting every germ in the house. I can't control anything, but I can control this house. That's my favorite one. My house is really clean. Actually, it's not. <laughs> I wish it was. And then there's the fawners. And the fawn people, they people please so that they don't have to feel rejected. When they get scared, when they get triggered, they bulldoze with, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, it's my fault. But they're not connected to their heart. And the thing is, is that psychologists are recognizing that most humans live in a constant state of trigger, that they fluctuate between those four. And part of it is technology because we are so disconnected from our souls and our hearts that we are living literally outside of ourselves. We are living up here in a constant state of stress. Even social media, it's the, the studies done on how many times you trigger when you're scrolling social media. I triggered rejection. I trigger anxiety. I'm missing out. FOMO. Oh my gosh, I didn't get invited to the party. It's a constant state of stress. It's a real issue. And so it's critical that we as believers understand the assault of the enemy and that we lean back, okay, God, what are you doing? Where are you? It's critical. And I'm going to share this at the end, but I truly, the Lord spoke to me at the beginning of 2020, before all the mess, and said, PZ, revival is going to come from rest. It's going to come from the unforced rhythms of grace. It's going to come from sitting back in the pocket of the Holy Spirit. But it is so countercultural to what is going on right now. Everything is vying for your attention. Everything is designed to get you addicted. And you want to know how they do it? Through dopamine hits. It's literally, it is designed that way. Social media is designed to keep you addicted. Literally, they have done brain scans. And what happens is, is every time you get a like, every time you see something, you get a hit of dopamine. And your brain gets addicted to it, just like cocaine. Just like cocaine. Do you see the scheme of the enemy here? Do you see it? It's the same with the news. The news is designed to keep you addicted through fear so that you find safety in it. Oh, if I know what's going on, I can be safe. Oh, if I know what's coming, I can be safe. You're never going to be safe through the news. I don't care if it's Fox News, Fox news or CNN. You're never going to be safe. I don't care if it's social media news. You're never going to find safety in it. We can only find safety and rest in the Lord. I think it was John, John Ortberg went to Dallas Willard. And he said, how do I grow? How do I grow in being a follower of Jesus? Now, this is a man who has it down, right? But he goes to Dallas Willard and says, how can I grow? And Dallas Willard says something that I think is true for every one of us. He looks at him and he says, 
If you want to grow in being a follower of Jesus, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And he says to him, okay, great, what else? And he goes, that's it. That's it. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Why? Because hurry is full of fear and anxiety. And when fear is present, what is not? Love. Love's not present. And who is love? God. God is the living, breathing presence of love. It's, it's part of his entire being. And so slowing down is essential to our walk. It's essential to our apprenticeship under Jesus. John Mark Comer said, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. He put on display an unhurried life where space for God and room for people were the top priorities. And because he said yes to the Father and his kingdom, he constantly said no to other invitations. Then he turned around and said, follow me. If you, want, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He was one of the busiest guys. He was busy saving the world, right? Like, that's a big deal. And yet he chose to do it rested. See, he had a lot to do, but, but hurry didn't enter his heart. He did it from a seated position. He did it mirroring the Father. It says the Father is seated. He's seated in heavenly places. John Mark Comer also said, Jesus was busy and yet he stayed rested. He waited three decades to preach his first sermon. And after one day on the job, he went off into the wilderness to pray for 40 days. <laughs> I love that. That's me. I'm just going to vacate my job. I'll be with the father. But I, I really do because I think, man, the, what was his number one priority? We think when Jesus was in the wilderness getting tempted, like, oh, he was fasting. He must have been weak. But no, he was feasting off the presence of God. You know why he fasted? So that he could be built up. It was so that he could be built up. He feasted off the bread of life. It was sourced to him because it was central. He also limited himself to human, to the human experience. Jesus could have teleported places. In fact, I think that that would have been a good idea. He could have spread the gospel a lot faster. He could have, he literally could have teleported, but he didn't. He chose to walk. And what happened on his walks? Well, I'm sure that him and the disciples got into amazing conversations. I'm sure a lot of even things that they wrote in the Gospels were from those walks, from just walking. It's like what he says in the scripture, walk with me, work with me. He says, come alongside me and watch how I do things. And then what happened on the way to, you know, most of the miracles that Jesus performed were interruptions. It was him going on assignment somewhere, walking, and the woman with the issue of blood grabs 
and nudges him. She's healed. So many of the miracles that Jesus did were interruptions because love is patient. He had time for interruptions. He had time, as Heidi Baker says, to stop and love the one in front of him. He had time to access the kingdom and spread it to the people who interrupted because he was patient. He was slow. He was in the unforced rhythms of grace. He sat down and ate leisure meals with his disciples. So many of the times when Jesus sat down to a meal, he would rest there. The disciple, you know, John talks about laying his head on Jesus's chest at the dinner table. It was a restful thing. He took time to sit and break bread with the disciples and know them. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to experience the lifestyle. It's countercultural. We live in a world of like, girl boss, do it. Go after your dreams. Go after your goals. And while I am 100% not against that, I think it's awesome. We have to recognize that we live in a society that celebrates success, celebrates going after something, but at what cost? At what cost? At the cost of my relationship with God? At the cost of loving the people that God had put in front of me, my family? At the cost of serving my community and loving my community? If that's the cost, then I'm not in. I'm not in. And I see it infiltrating the church. Even people look at me all the time, and they're like, you're so successful, and you're a mom, and you're doing all the things, and you're putting out courses, and you're going after it. And I'm like, yeah, and I would walk away from it in two seconds if God said to. This is not my dream. This is not my dream. This is not the thing that fills me. This is the thing that God's asked me to do to serve him. The place that fills me is at his feet. The place that fills me is being a little kid at his feet, is going low. It's going so low. And the only reason that I'm in front of you is because of going so low. It's the only way that I can stay here is going so low. Because the public touch of God must manifest into the private kiss. It has to manifest into the private kiss. That scripture, it's one of the scariest scriptures to me, which is ironic to say, but, you know, God, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. We prophesied. We did all these things. And he looks at them and says, I never knew you. Why? Because the public touch never became the private kiss. Our times of worship and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if it's not leading to us sitting at the feet of Jesus, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It has to be a lifestyle. And I truly believe for the next move of God that the Father is saying, develop the lifestyle and watch the Holy Spirit pour out through it. It's not about the Holy Spirit pouring out and then it 
you know, it dissipates into nothing because we didn't know how to cultivate the lifestyle. And I truly believe that even Dan is, was prophetically seeing something about Selah because I've been feeling it for a couple years now. That God is saying, hey, in the midst of the storm, we're in a huge storm right now. We're in a demonic storm. In the midst of the storm, just like the disciples, are you going to go? Are you going to look at the storm? Are you going to forget who God is and who you are? Bill Johnson says, I love this, and it still blows my mind, and I'm breaking it down. But he says, the reason that Jesus rebuked the disciples is not because they didn't have faith in him. It's because God had already released them to do the very thing that, they, that he was doing. They had the authority to rebuke the storm, and they forgot. Are you going to get swept up in the storm? Or are you going to sit at the feet of Jesus? And right now, God is testing the earth. He's saying, okay, I'm going to let the refiner's fire get turned up. I'm going to let it get turned up. Where are your eyes going to be? Where's your faith going to be? Where's your trust going to be? Because you're not going to find it out there. You're going to find it here at the feet, at my feet, at my feet. Because when I sit at the feet of Jesus and I look into the eyes that are so kind and so loving, all the poisons get drained out. I can have all the emotional health tools in the world. And trust me, I have a lot. If it's an emotional health thing, I've done it. I've been there. I love them. But those are nothing. They're empty if I don't have this right. If I'm not looking at the Father. Because it's it, I, when I look into his eyes that I remember who he is and I remember who I am. It's in humility that I come as a child that I receive the kingdom. And the kingdom is what I need to thrive. The kingdom is what I need to keep going. I want to read. Let me turn to this real quick. I'm so struck by Mary of Bethany. You want to know why? Because she got it. She understood what it was about. Let me read this. This is Matthew. What is this? Matthew 26, verse 6. Jesus went on to Bethany to the home of Simon, and a man named, a man named, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy, a woman came into the house holding an alabaster flask filled with fragrant and expensive oil. She walked right up to Jesus, and in a lavish gesture of devotion, she poured out the costly oil, and it cascaded over his head. And as he was at the table, as he was at the table when the disciples saw this, they were offended. What a total waste, they grumbled. We could have sold it for a great deal of money and given it to the poor. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, why are you critical of this woman? She has done a beautiful act of kindness for me. You'll always have someone poor whom you can help. But you will not always have me. When she poured the fragrant oil over me, she was preparing my body for burial. I promise you, that at 
that as this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her lavish devotion to me will also be mentioned in memory of her. What she did was intrinsic to the spread of the gospel. She didn't preach a sermon. She didn't write a book. She didn't do a great exploit. You know what she did? She sat at the feet of Jesus. She loved Jesus. She did it when Martha was busy getting the house ready. See, Martha was doing things for Jesus, and she forgot to be with him. How many times do we do things for the Father, but we forget to be with him? We do the church programs. We got it right. We're praying for people. But we forgot about the private kiss. We forgot about the private kiss. And then again, when she poured the oil out over Jesus, and it says she knelt and she put her hair with, she washed his feet with her hair. And so he smelled like her and she smelled like him. And there was an exchange of intimacy. And then when her brother died and Martha comes up and is like, where were you? Blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, where's Mary? I don't need words. I need worship. I don't need words. I need love. And she collapses at his feet. See, Mary's devotion and love to Jesus exposed others' disconnection from him. It exposed the disconnection in the disciples' heart, in Judas's heart. It exposed Martha's disconnection. And so many times we, we do the same thing. We're like, we got to get this done. We got to get this. Oh, all the things. But the call is just to sit at his feet. And it's not that you don't do those things. Hear me on this. It's not that you don't do the worship nights. It's not that you don't serve the poor. We are called to do those things. But are you doing them in your own strength? Or are you doing them from the feet of Jesus? Because there's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And I believe where the church is going and what we're called to, the Father is going to stretch us past our capacity. And you know what that means? It doesn't mean that you need to take on more, that you need to muscle it down and, and try to do all the things. It means that we need more of his presence to fuel what he wants to do on earth. And if we don't step into his presence, if we don't have the Selah moments where we go, wait, stop, pause, what am I feeling? I'm stressed, God. I feel so stressed. Okay, that's a heavy yoke. Take it off, God. Let me look at you. I see you. And if I can see you, I'm good. Because you have my yes. On the plane right over here, I was coming over from Detroit, and it's been a couple weeks since I've seen my kids, and December's been crazy. And on the plane right over here, I just felt so tired. I just felt tired. And so I was like, Holy Spirit, I need this plane ride to be, like, I can't minister to anyone. I can't get a per I can't get a word of knowledge. I need to just be ministered to. Like I need to be with you, Father. And so the Holy Spirit set it up and I got my own row. <laughs> and I literally I was at the back of the plane which I wanted to be. I'm like at the very back of the plane in my own row and I just turn on worship music and I just let the tears come. I don't have words. All I have are liquid prayer, God. 
And I just let him minister to me. And I'm like, Father, I'm tired and I feel weary, but if I can see you, if I can see you, God, then I'm good. If I can see you, because you have my yes, God. Like, you have my yes. Now fuel me. And so the Holy Spirit just falls. And I'm just being ministered to for like two hours, just crying. I look like a blubbering mess on the plane. You're wearing the mask. The mask's all wet. And I'm like, what's the purpose of this? Wet, snotty mask. That's another story. Can we edit that out? No, I'm just kidding. But I'm back there crying, and I can feel the presence of God come over me. And I get off that plane, and I'm like, I'm good. I'm good because I sat at the feet. I recalibrated. I took what I was carrying and gave it to Papa and said, you carry it for me. I can't. It's not my job. I'm too small. I'm too little to carry this. You got to carry this, Dad. You got to carry it for me. Most of us need to hear the words that Jesus said to Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. And indeed, only one. Only one thing is needed. That's all you need. You can have all the emotional health tools in the world, but only one thing is needed. Only if he is center can he be source. If he is not center, then he is not source. And if he is not source, then something else is. In the Passion Translation, when it says the Lord's Prayer, it says, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Like the sun. He has to be center. Because he has to be source. And to go where I believe God wants to take us as the bride, he has to be source. We have to understand the rhythm of love. It's counter-cultural. But guess what? The church was always meant to be counter-cultural. You were not meant to look like the world. You were meant to look like him. It's completely different than what you see. It takes an assessment of your life to go, am I walking in rest? Have I cultivated a lifestyle of rest? Am I sitting in the unforced rhythms of grace? And if not, church, this is the time. This is the time. The hour is upon us now. This is the preparation hour. You want to know why the fire is getting turned up? Because it's the preparation hour. You understand, if you understand revival history, before every single great move of God, society was at its worst. Society was at an all-time low. Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, in fact, the Welsh Revival was so bad that crime, murder, uh, the fatherless was at an all-time high. In fact, a French philosopher said, He's quoted as saying, I believe that Christianity will be extinct within a generation in the UK. A year later, the Welsh revival happens. The bars are cleared out because all the men are in church and then they're back home with their families. Murder 
goes down. Because when a move of God comes, it actually changes society. It won't happen through politics. It's not going to happen the way you think it will. It didn't happen the way that the disciples thought it would. Because when the kingdom of God comes, he's not after, he's not after the things you think he is. He's after hearts. And he wants to start with yours. He wants to start in us. And he's purifying the bride. And going into 2020, we had, if you were paying attention, so many of the big prophets were prophesying about the next great move of God. The biggest move of God, a billion soul harvest, the biggest move of God we've ever seen. In fact, that Bob Jones word about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. He said 10 times before he died, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you'll know that I'm raising up chief, chief apostles for the last great move of God. Well, the Chiefs haven't won the Super Bowl in 50 years until January of 2020, right before the pandemic. All the prophets are going, okay, what's happening? You could feel it in the spiritual realm ramping up before the pandemic ever happened. You could feel in the spiritual realm something is shifting. God's on the move. What do you think the enemy wants to do if God's on the move? What do you think his plans are to thwart every plan and purpose of God? Why do you think that there's a storm? You realize that the storm on the Sea of Galilee, that was not a natural storm. It was a demonic storm. It was a demonic storm. We're in a demonic storm right now because God is on the move. And if you, if what the prophets are saying is true, and I 100% believe it is, that we will see a billion soul harvest. We're going to see a great move of God on the earth. Don't you think that the enemy just as much is doing whatever he can to stop it? Don't you think that in your personal life, he's going to kick up the fire? He's going to distract you. So many people that I have worked with in 2020, their lives fell apart, including mine in some ways. It got real hard, real fast. In fact, going into 2020, I would say actually two years before that, the Lord started to speak to my husband and I about rest. I got super convicted about it, super convicted. It was on a camping trip. I've never, I, I never, my husband grew up like his family, they like were hippies. They pretty much lived on a commune. They, they were homeschooled. They wore the matching outfits, all the things. I grew up going to public school. My parents are both from LA. They're like, I don't think we ever, I, I've never been camping in my life until two years ago. Um, to me, camping was like camping in a Hilton. I was like, this is good. I love this. It's rough in it. <laughs> my husband's like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't survive a day. I'm like, I, I wouldn't. And I'm happy to admit that. I'm not a camper. But my husband took me camping and the Holy Spirit spoke to me on that camping trip. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Like, where are you going? It was like a moment. It was a Selah moment where I, it was like life paused, and I was assessing our life. My husband and I were assessing our life, and we're like, the way we're going will be very successful. We'll be very successful. But only one thing is needed, and it's missing. And if you looked from the outside, you'd be like, no, no, no. She's full of the Holy Spirit, prophetess, all the things. But inside, he wasn't at the center, and he wasn't source. 
And it was so easy to lose sight of that. It was so easy, like, like a ship slowly drifting off course. And it's like the Holy Spirit came back in and recalibrated us. And it was a Selah moment. It was a pause. And so the Holy Spirit began to speak to us. But when you're a family and you have your life set up and your lifestyle set up, it is really hard to change that. Right? We have kids. We have schedules. We have school. We have all the things. And we're like, we know that we have to change, but what the Father's speaking to us about is not just a mindset change. This is a lifestyle change. This is a, we have to make room for the presence. And so slowly we began to change, but we're still busy. And in 2019, I spoke like every weekend for like five months. I was traveling and speaking. I put out a course and I was, I got to the end of 2019 and I was exhausted. I was so tired, and we decided to go on a month-long vacation. My husband and I both own businesses, so we can do that. We went on a month-long vacation, and right now we live in Colorado, so we went back to L.A., and, um, and I got off of social media for the entire month. I got off the Internet for an entire month. I was like, no, I need a complete, like, I just need to be with the Father and with my family. Like, I need a complete mental detox from it all. And so, and I always laugh because social media is part of my business, but I am the worst social media person on the planet because I refuse to be enslaved to it. So I'm like, yeah, if I don't post for three weeks, I don't post for three weeks. Like I refuse to be enslaved to this. The only reason that I'm here, like my, I refuse to say that my business will be dependent on this. My business is dependent. My call is dependent on the Holy Spirit. None of that stuff matters. So I took a whole month off. And I was even considering, like, just completely quitting. I was, com- I was at the very top, and I was like, I'm considering walking away and quitting. And I was in Disneyland one morning, and I was praying. I'm, like, praying through Disneyland. I'm, like, that weirdo. Like, although that could happen with me. You never know. And, um... And I was going to quit. And then that morning, someone comes up to me, and they're like, you're PT. Oh, my gosh. Your post changed my life. I was like, God, I'm going to get off. And like 10 minutes later, someone randomly walks up to me. It's like, your post changed my life. And the Holy Spirit's like, you're not done yet. <laughs> All right, Lord. <laughs> and then that whole vacation, I thought, okay, this is going to be a restful vacation. We're just going to rest. And the Holy Spirit had us on assignment. He had us seeing people. And pr- he would like, I would wake up in the morning. He's like, I want you to go here and pray for this person tomorrow. You know, it was like one of those things. But it was in that moment that something shifted because we were busy on that trip, and yet I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was breathing in the presence every day because I was back in rest. I was back in rest. And so I told, because I'm like this with God, I'm like, okay, God, I've been pouring out on this trip, so you owe me a word. (laughs) I was like, you owe me something. I can do that with God, and he laughs. laughs. He's in a good mood. He's a good mood, God. And he's funny. Holy Spirit is funny. I mean, come on. People rolling around, slaying in the spirit, that's not funny. I mean, come on. People looking like idiots, that's hilarious. I mean, come on. I'm one of them. I'm one of those holy rollers. I'm like all back and forth, all crazy. Ah. 
you might see it in a couple minutes. But anyhow, so, so I'm like, God, you owe me a word. So I'm walking through Disneyland. We were back at Disneyland that day. I'm a Disney freak. I'm not scared to admit that. Um, I have no pride. Love, love Disney. So we're at Disneyland, and I'm walking through the park, and I'm praying, and I'm like, Johnny's like, is your word going to come? Like, you haven't gotten your word. And I'm like, it's the last day. I'm like, my word will come. My word will come. I'm looking at Mickey. I'm like, do you have a word for me? <laughs> you know? Like, I'm like, it'll come from somewhere. And we get to the, my husband's like, you are freaking crazy. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> no, he's used to it by now. So we're walking out of the park, and my husband go, he looks at me, and he goes, are you disappointed that you didn't get your word? And I said, no, it'll come. And we're walking out of the park, and I'm praying, and I'm like, okay, God, where is it? And all of a sudden, I see a picture, just a flash. It was a picture of me and my husband praying in our living room. And I knew, it, I was like, there, there it is. And I looked at my husband, and I was like, I think we're supposed to contend for God this year. I think we're supposed to contend for God. That was January 2020. Oh, no, that was, the, that was the end of February 2020. We get back, and I have the word in my head, but I jump back into work and that kind of stuff, and I'm like, okay, how do, like, when are, is this like a moment? I was like, I think it's supposed to be a lifestyle. I'm not sure. But two weeks later, we go into lockdown. And I don't know about you, but for us, lockdown was like a Selah moment. It was like a pause. Like the storm is kicking up, but there's a pause. My husband works in the entertainment industry. The entertainment industry gets shut down. He does, isn't working. My kids are home. You can't really go anywhere. And so we're in our home. And so we go, all right, let's contend for God. So we spent, let me take a drink. Can you open this for me, John? So we spent every morning. We spent every morning reading the word together. We wanted to go through the gospels. I felt like the Lord said, go through the gospels, and I want you to look at my life. And so we read through the gospels over and over and over again. And we would just read one chapter at a time, and then we would talk about what did God speak to you? What stuck out to you? What was the lifestyle of Jesus, and where are we at in this? What's our call in this? And it radically rocked me. Because I've read the gospels hundreds of times. But this time I was reading it almost forensically. I'm picking it apart. I'm looking, okay, God, what was your lifestyle? And I'm like, man, most of the things Jesus did, I walk in sometimes, but not as a lifestyle. Not all the time. Even, even walking in healing towards the sick. I'm like, yeah, 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 I walk in it sometimes, but not all the time. I'm like, okay, it's got to change. And then we spent our evenings... We spent our evenings soaking in the presence of God. We would just put on worship music, and we would just soak, and we would pray, and we would worship. And at first it was like, yeah, I mean, that was good. Kind of dry, but, you know, it was good. But the more we did it, the more hunger began to develop. And the more hunger that began to develop, the more we had to get in the presence. And the more we had to get in the presence, the more the Holy Spirit fell. And the more the Holy Spirit fell, it was like our lives began to change. We would sit down to sit in the presence of God, and we would think it was 20 minutes, and it's been three hours. Literally, 
there would be times where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would fall and both of us would just begin weeping in the presence of God, travailing and weeping in the presence of God. We didn't have words. All we had were liquid prayers. That's all we had. And the Lord began to, my prophetic gifting ramped up and the Lord began to speak to me about what he's doing. And I'm going to read you one of the words that he gave me at the very beginning. Maybe you can come up. But before that, that season of pressing into God recalibrated us into a lifestyle of Selah, into a lifestyle of rest. It reset our hunger. Sometimes, you know, I work even with people in like doing health stuff. And sometimes if you've been eating junk food, your body is accustomed to junk food. Your taste buds are accustomed to junk food. And sometimes when you do a cleanse, (laughs) Dan goes, amen. (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of with him. But when you do a cleanse, basically what you're doing is you're trying to reset your body. You're resetting your body to desire something else. I remember I was like, for years and years and years, I was like a Diet Coke girl. Like, I can have my Diet Coke. I need a Diet Coke. And um, I was addicted to them. And I remember when I gave it up, at first, like, the cravings were so bad. But I remember drinking it. After not drinking it for a year, I had one, and it tasted disgusting to me because I lost my taste for it. It completely fell away. And so sometimes like when you do a cleanse, it's for resetting your body. And and we need a spiritual cleanse. We need to actually reset our taste buds for the hunger of God. And that is what God is doing right now. You want to know why the fire is getting turned up? It's to recalibrate your spirit on dependence in God because he wants to pour his spirit out, but he's looking to and fro on the earth for hearts that are truly his. He's looking for people that have have a yes in God. He's looking for people who are willing to lay their lifestyle down, who are willing to lay down their success for the sake of sitting at his feet like a child. The call is to humility. The call is to get small. It's to become like a little child so that you can be raised up in the kingdom. You want to enter the kingdom? Become small. You want to be with Jesus? Become little. Lay it all down. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter if you have the best clothes. It doesn't matter if you've read all the books and you know all the psychology and you know the politics. It doesn't matter because he matters. It's him. And I don't want to be a Martha. I don't want to be busy with, I don't want to cheat on God with the things he's given me. I don't want to be too busy that I forget to sit at his feet.